Here we come to an extraordinarily important component of our war, and it is one that has only really recently been discovered um, as such a central component and as something that needs to be as flushed out as it does and in the way that it does. Although we've always known um, that this would be one of the centerpieces to what it is that we're talking about here, one of our major allies, it has formed itself has become apparent that it must be used in this particular way. In a fashion uh, that is as unexpected as it is suddenly apparent. Because the topic of our conversation here is consciousness. Um, and not just consciousness as it exists on its own, but consciousness as it relates to a philosophical war as it relates to the things that we're speaking about here. Um, because it has a very particular relation. It has a very particular meaning. And it's something that up to this point we have not talked about or even really bothered to discover. And in fact, very few have discussed it in the way that we are about to. Um, because for our purposes, as we mentioned at the top of this, the start of this just a few moments ago it is going to play an even larger role where it does play an even larger role uh, than we had originally realized and in fact this conversation this whole talk stems from that realization uh, because originally we had not planned to go into this topic in such depth until we began we get, began to explore uh, some other components, um, some other of our, our most staunch uh, and fertile allies and weapons, and realized that we couldn't really do justice 
to these, again, other sort of place-setting factions of, of our war without also speaking about consciousness. Um, originally, the most central an important component of uh, this first portion of a philosophical war. The title of the chapter was Vim and Verity. However, we have, in light of this discovery, renamed it to be Vim, Verity, and Consciousness. And the reason we've done this is because even though in the original one one of the most important things that we discovered uh, in doing this original dictation on vim and verity was that there was a sort of trinitarian existence between vim verity and the self And so that, that was one of, again, the centralized uh, things, the, possibly even the, the largest discovery that was made during, all, during that uh, particular dictation. Um, however, now that we've sort of elucidated it, opened it up a little bit, We're now seeing that what that self is also needs to be elucidated and and opened up. <laughs> um, although we're not going to necessarily talk about what is the self, or at least that's not the intention. We'll see where and how this goes. However the most important thing at this juncture is to understand the relationship and expound on this uh, original notion and explanation of vim verity and uh, the self because just as a rehashing we have said or had said in uh, that original dictation that vim and ver we sort of defined what vim and verity are and their relationship to one another and again then in somewhere in the middle of that particular dictation we realize that it's really activated. Those things are really activated by one's self. And we use the example of the Christian Trinitarian understanding of what is, again, called in Christianity is God. Um, 
what God in the the Christian phraseology what that means um, so we saw that obviously there's a relationship between in in the Christian tradition between a God the Father the Holy Ghost or Spirit uh, and the Son it's sort of transcended, transmuted in Jesus Christ. Um, and Christ in Christianity is, is what makes Christianity Christianity. Otherwise, without Christ, you, you have Judaism. Uh, but the beauty of Christ unlike any other religion is that there is this notion that God itself through the workings of the Holy Spirit transformed itself and transcended itself into Christ into something that was into someone who was fully human and yet at the same time fully God so it existed it had this duality this dialectical existence um, and was both of these things equally and had that struggle, that cosmic struggle within this one being. And there is no other tradition whose God is a human being. Now, at least no other living tradition. Now, there are uh, lots of other traditions in the ancient world that the other gods certainly have, of course, human-like qualities um, and uh, even are uh, come down to the, the, the mortal realms and um, have many of the same traits and experiences as human beings do. However, the unique thing that uh, has survived from, from uh, modern Christianity and, and all of those other traditions might just, you may say, are some sort of amalgamation um, um, of, of what we now know as the the Christian tradition, the, the, the Christ story, um, is, is that Christ is is a human, is, a, is very much a human being susceptible to all of the things that human beings are susceptible to. Uh, even so much so that uh, it is capable of death, which was obviously in, in the Christian tradition, the ultimate ending to Christ's story and bears a great amount of significance in and of itself. However, what we see in the veritable philosophy, for lack of a better term for it at this point, that, that we're putting forth 
is that there's a relationship, much in the same way as the Christian Trinitarian relationship of spouses. And that relationship looks something uh, like this, and it very, it very much, fortunately, other or, or otherwise or not, parallels that that Christian tradition. And um, again, that was something unintentional, uh, but it, it, it fits in the way we're going about explaining this. And of course, our explanation of this, we're only using words. Uh, we're using words and concepts and ideas and putting those words, concepts, and, and ideas uh, into the minds and tongues of, of others. Um, because, because what we're explaining and talking about here, of course, really isn't sufficient to actually understand what it is that we're talking about, right? It's sort of that notion of that which is the the truth or the or the Taoist kind of uh, idea that the true Tao is not the Tao. It's the same thing here, and really with all ideas, uh, really with all reality itself, really with all veritable happenings, um, it really can't be explained. Which is where. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is where we come up with caressence. Is that being with? Is that happening? Um, that puts the individual along with or alongside of um, and the presence of verity. And verity and the individual join up and become and act uh, as one. Um, but verity, or excuse me, um, what consciousness is in this, this Trinitarian uh, happening um, is if we have uh, God, the Father, as you know, verity, and Again, in a representational way, um, the Holy Spirit sort of pinned out as Vim, then in our original dictation we had said the uh, individual was basically the Christ figure. And that would be the major difference between our tradition and the Christian tradition is that instead of us having a redeemer, that we as individuals are our own redeemers. Um, and that's not to slight the, the notion of Christ because uh, it's almost a potato potato kind of happening. It's almost, it really is just nothing more than a slight of tongue. Um, because what one could interpret as Christ, another could actually interpret as the individual. And we will get into more of that here, or that will become more clear as, as we go along. Because, and I know we already said that we're not going to talk really about what an individual is, but we 
we will <laughs> just sort of happens by in, in happenstance um, through the, the topic because I think what we will ultimately see is that there is no individual as we have come to understand one is if you say Christ is within you it can just as easily be uh, thought of as oneself because there is ultimately when we really boil it down and not even that far uh, do we we don't really even have to, to turn up the temperature that hot to, to boil this down um, we, we see that we are really more sharing in a universal force that is consciousness and that consciousness is not so much acted uh, or given to individuals as it is that we have participation within it and are both individual and a part of this larger happening so um, that's where we're that's where we're headed not necessarily this isn't necessarily an exploration of what it is to be an individual but again we are going to go that way sort of by the by we are going to touch on that by the by here so the profound thing in me <laughs> I hate to uh, uh, label something uh, we should let the listeners decide i suppose the profundity of such a thing but for for us discovering this uh as it's unfolding in front of us as we fight this this war and we're doing so actively in in the present we we have a rough idea of where we want to go and yet all of this is uh something novel to us um, and much like any day or any experience, how we we think it is, uh, there winds up to be a little little kink in it, for, for better or worse, uh, and f- for neither, most likely. Um, but but something that we have discovered is that instead of uh, again uh, pitting the Christ figure up against the individual in this veritable tradition that we're putting forth. Instead of displacing Christ, and again, that that almost sounds blasphemous, and that's not what we're out to do at all. Whatever language, whatever ideas are comfortable for people, that's what we want to go with. We don't want to necessarily even, however people get there, is fine, um, but we want to give uh, new tools so that folks might be able to, um, in their own ways, carve those own trails and paths back into uh, verity <laughs> uh, or or what they have thought of and considered uh, God or the way or into nirvana or whatever works for them um, but again we use verity because there was this word because it's not been used like this and we've already talked plenty about why uh, it's important to use new new language in order to, to free up one's mind is that are they're, they're so tied together our language and our concepts um, that we need to we need to 
form a, a new language in order to, to set the mind free. So, um, what has been beautiful in our initial phases of this is this initial discovery of uh, our selves being really we, we can really uh, swap out ourselves it's it's and again this sounds I hesitate because it sounds so blasphemous and that's not what we're trying to do but but ours our own selves and what the old traditions talk of and speak of as as Christ are interchangeable in this veritable tradition that, that we are putting forth again because within us lies this sacred spirit and again what is different in verity uh, is that we don't necessarily need a redeemer and so many of the new newer takes on even Christianity itself would say the same thing there's no intermediary needed and I, I'm not sure that that was ever the point of Christianity or Jesus's talks or Jesus himself, per se. Is that he said that the way is through me, but who is this me he spoke of? What if we looked at this me that Christ spoke of as us? The way to God is through us. Because, and I know we've now said it three or four times, but we're, <laughs> the intention of this is not to uh, uh, discuss who we are as individual, what the individual is, and yet it's rather impossible to do, um, at least in, around, surrounding this topic. So, what if what Christ meant was that the way to reality, the way to, and what we're talking about, verity. This vim lives within us. That vim is that common thread in all of us, in all of experience. It creates experience. It, it, it creates reality. Vim is the power behind verity. And being so, we must activate it in some way. What activates it? What creates verity? Well, again, our veritable tradition says that here, within phenomena, within being, which is already created by verity, and phenomena and being have a very similar relationship as vim and verity do. And that, that should be noted as an aside. But within phenomena and being, created by vim, which turns into verity, a veritable happening, 
Something activates it. Something sustains it. And something is sustained by it. It's this reciprocating relationship. Now, we have talked before in other writings and dictations about this one extraordinarily important point, but here we are going to go into it once again and and maybe in the most important of contexts, is that there can be no happening without something to acknowledge it. There is nothing, even nothing itself, that can be or not be without an acknowledgement of that thing. This is extraordinarily consequential. When we understand the relationship of consciousness to being in phenomena, the classical notion of the phenomenological world is that this physical matter was created and that it sustained itself. However, this doesn't really make any sense because in order for something to be, as we just stated, something has to perceive it. There can be no being without perception of being. It makes no logical teleological sense whatsoever in order for something to be it must be perceived perception of that thing must exist it can't be held matter cannot be held in existence by other matter there is a direct relationship between consciousness and being. The two cannot exist without one another. Uh, What if you had (laughs) if you had a consciousness well something has to it has to be conscious of something, even if that something is is a nothing, right? And in order, in the same way, in order for there to be being, that being has to be perceived. And again, in order 
for perception. It must, that perception must perceive of something. So here is the beauty of, of this entire scheme that we're putting together is that there is an integral relationship between Vim and Verity, which are more or less interchangeable. Um, it's sort of like speaking of, of the faces of the coin, the different faces of the coin and, and the coin itself. What the two need one another to compose one another. Um, so Vim and Verity, and we've already spoken about their relationship, but they need consciousness also. Because something has to activate Vim and Verity. Something has to, and everything is composed of, of Vim and, and becomes a veritable, uh, has a verity, has verity, has a veritable existence. Ultimately, is a, a manifest of verity. Um, so, initially, we had said that consciousness the, the the self is the the third prong of of this triangle but it is entirely more accurate to say that it is consciousness itself as a larger happening that is the other vital portion of, of this And we are merely participants within consciousness. Our beings um, are conduits of universal forces. That is something we have said again and again and, and will be thematic, be, be a, a, one of our loudest war cries as we move through these battles is that we are witnesses to these universal unfoldings and consciousness is a, a part of all of them whether we're talking about an emotion a mathematical equation some kind of recognition or idea the foundational thing is an awareness even if we're not necessarily aware the foundational thing if we're not even directly aware I should say but the foundational thing is a consciousness is that 
something evoked this. Something emitted this, and there is something to receive this happening. And again, that transmitter and receptor is has the, the common thread of vim, verity, and consciousness that, that perceives and is sort of the ground of. So, really, we can use all three of these things um, interchangeably, at least in our language. We can, can speak of them. In, in this new language we're putting together, we can speak of them all interchangeably. Um, because, again, you can't have a coin without the components that comprise the, the heads and the tails, or the, the two different sides of it anyways. Just as you can't have vim and verity without consciousness. Uh, or maybe in a better analogy, you have vim that composes the details and verity is the coin itself. And consciousness is the thing that identifies it as such. Consciousness flips it. Consciousness pays with it. Consciousness handles it. Gives value to it. the consequences of this as we mentioned are enormous if we understand this then all the atheistic claims out there are completely moot and nonsensical At least, and yet at the same time, Verity does not necessarily claim itself as a deistic or a deifying sort of well, philosophy or religion, although clearly it has extraordinarily strong theological overtones. It's, that is obvious, and yet it doesn't go so far as to claim to be something that needs to be worshipped because it already exists something that exists needs nothing else except for verity and consciousness in order to continue existing and that these three components or one singular component when you, when you however you care to look at it is the basis of all existence and it needs only to acknowledge itself which is where it comes up with this self-realization of itself it's this double reflection of self-understanding self which is where we as individuals come in clearly <laughs> and I know, again, we're not supposed to be necessarily talking about what an individual is. 
And yet at the same time, it's, as we've mentioned, apologetically at this point, it's unavoidable uh, in, in this conversation. But obviously, there are individuals, or at least the concept of individuals. Now, I would go so far as to say that consciousness has been so corrupted that it only sees itself as fragmented. It only sees itself as individualized. And yet, at the same time, there is a beauty towards and a, and a wisdom in dividing itself up. So it, just as it does with Vim and Verity, it is able to see itself, to work with itself, to be itself in itself, for itself, with itself, as itself, and yet as wholly other and apart from itself all at the same time. And if we understand this, and if we see that we are not necessarily individuals who are conscious, but we see that we are consciousness that has manifested itself as both individuals and yet we are utterly connected, then we can invoke them and have this extraordinary power. And have this extraordinarily insightful view. This extraordinarily conscious view of consciousness. It's not a very difficult thing to perceive, actually. We could end this dictation right now. And that would be that. And maybe there are some who might be listening to this in the future that are wishing that we should. <laughs> or we do. <laughs> uh, but to be quite honest with you, we've got a little bit more to go in our walk. And the beauty of this is, and here is consciousness unfolding in itself, is that the more we look at ourselves, and this is the exercise that we're doing right now, and this is why we're going to keep doing it at this moment, is the more we look, the more we speak, the more we think, the more conscious we become the more able we are able we are to understand and and to caress to be with ourselves here's the glorious another glorious thing about all of this is that we in a philosophical war uh, have up to this point in a great fashion in a, in a, in, a, in a wholly damning kind of way or so it might seem have completely and totally rallied against something that we have dubbed over and over again as conceptualization, concepts, idealism. However, if used 
properly. And verity, consciousness, in its wisdom, maybe, may have very well done this intentionally. Because we can understand ourselves. Consciousness itself can understand itself all the more if it uses both the left and right hand, if it uses both conceptualization and yet is trying to feed back and, and really is successful in continual, get this continual relationship, this caressence with itself, this being with itself at the same time, but yet also strictly using consciousness. And here's where conceptualization becomes the enemy, is when we rely wholly on conceptualization. When conceptualization becomes all that there is. And that's what we have warred against. We have gone off against this idea of idea. This ideological construction that has become conceptualization that has invaded consciousness as an entire practice, uh, at least an entire practice in human form, like a cancer. We must kill the cancer. And yet, as science will discover, cancer has its place too. After all, I'm no medical doctor, but I imagine that cancer makes our white blood cells stronger. It makes our defenses more. Because all of us, from what I do understand, and maybe this is completely wrong, or maybe this will be totally disproved by science in the next hundred years or whatever, but my understanding is that we always have some form of cancer within us. Like, we, our cells are always divided. I mean, that's what, a, that's what cancer is, right? It's the, the division of cells. And, and, uh, but the danger of cancer is that those cells divide and divide unstoppably. It causes unnatural growth, and that's exactly, exactly what conceptualization is. Unchecked ideological growth. It's unchecked. It's unbounded. We have an idea, we run with it. Regardless of reality. <laughs> and that's where, again, of course, we need to bring ourselves back into the fold, and this is where Verity becomes extraordinarily useful. It becomes the thing. It becomes the weapon, the ally, the combatant. However, in our modern society, we have not used it very much, if at all, because we are so enamored by the purity 
what we think of as the purity of consciousness, of how deep consciousness can go. And it can go extraordinarily deep, given that there is all that consciousness is all that there is. That all of this is consciousness, is one form of consciousness or another. Even the unconscious things, even the myriad of inanimate objects that surround us have a kind of awareness of themselves. Because they act as themselves. It's as simple as that, folks. Things are aware of themselves because they act as themselves. It's extraordinarily simple. Everything is alive in this way. Everything is conscious. And yes, it might not be with the neurological firings that we find in a human being or in an animal or even in some kind of living microbe or whatever the case might be. But, but things, because they act themselves, are aware of what they are. They could be nothing else. They could be in no other state. They're, of course, aware of what they are because they are what they are. <laughs> to, to the overly complicated mind, uh, this makes no sense. Or this is so simplistic, and yet they don't see the eternal ramifications of this. Consciousness is not something confound to the human happening. Consciousness is everything. Everything. Consciousness is what is. Just as verity. Just as vim. Just as is what is. Consciousness. And yet what is consciousness? The scholars and philosophers will ask, what is it? Well, if you have to ask what it is, then you don't know. And yet, ironically enough, in the asking, you're trying to find out, and you are conscious. <laughs> in, the, in the very effort to find out, uh, you uh, invoke your conscious freedom. It's good that you don't know. It's beautiful that you don't know. Let's find out. Let's be. Let's be ignorant. Let's be enlightened. Let's be everything in between. That's what's needed. That's what is. And that's why it is. It's because it's needed. Concepts, I know, as we've just mentioned, we've, we've rallied against them. Or so it seems. However, what we've really done and what we will continue to do is rally against that cancerous kind of conceptualization, that unchecked, unfettered idea, uh, ideology that spins of itself, that creates its own wind and its own ideas, literally creates more ideas out of its ideas. <laughs> and there's, there's nothing left. There's no reality in the wake. 
It's uh, ideas on top of ideas. It's tortoises all the way up. To quote a old phrase about what the earth is supported by. So, we need to continue, of course, to fight against that kind of conceptualization. And we will always do so. But we have to do that with the mind that they have their place. It, it, conceptualization itself has its place, of course. So, consciousness is the very fabric of the world, of the universe, of phenomena. They're inextricable. The ghost particle experiment, which you know, is, is uh, quantum physics 101, has shown that the observer directly influences and affects the workings on a, on a quantum level, where we can really kind of, of see uh, in a different scope, in a different way, although or something that is verity, a veritable happening nonetheless, a reality, just on a different scale. It's shown how consciousness, how an observer affects the action. Um, the neurological argument for the existence of God. It states, how can things that are inanimate, that are not quote-unquote conscious, come together to form something that is conscious? There must be consciousness through and through in everything. This is absolutely true. Uh, again, this isn't even something to necessarily argue. I mean, you can't. How can? How could you argue this? Eh, maybe, maybe you could. I would be interested to to hear those arguments or to even come up with one myself, just to argue with myself again exercising that freedom of consciousness that we all have although I, I believe it I believe it's quite difficult to argue with the truth <laughs> with with verity but consciousness is deeper than we even realize consciousness is something that we partake within. We are not, as I heard an example given of not too, too long ago, we are not so much uh, a conductor as human beings that springs consciousness to life, but more like a television receptor which picks up consciousness floating in the airwaves consciousness because we have to understand that even 
if we were to be severely injured, we had a traumatic brain injury and we didn't have the same kind of consciousness. When we die, that's the big question, right? When we die, what happens? Well, if consciousness is all that there is, it simply transmutates. It simply takes another shape, another form, another angle, because that's what consciousness always does. The self is uh, these various components physical, experiential, and then the consciousness of those things, which creates a memory, which pinpoints and identifies us and informs us and that information becomes the blueprint as to how we act in a a given situation but it's all consciousness it's all an elaboration on what is we have to know We have to see, we have to understand, we have to acknowledge the fact that consciousness is what we are, and without it, there's nothing left. We're not just, clearly, we're not just physical beings. So how can we say that the universe is just this physical makeup? There is something more. spoken about the parallels of the Garden of Eden how humanity was was cast out of that but again what if we stop talking about humans as individuals per se and started to look at them as conscious beings it's almost in the same way we look at kind of other animals as it's you know this animal or that animal is a particular kind of you know ant or I mean you know we we don't see the ants as individuals per se we we see an ant as a part of antness what if we saw human beings as a part of consciousness and it's just the particular form what if we saw everything in that way how does that change the way we interact uh, the, the way we live with the way we the, how does it change our conscious interaction with those various things right. indeed consciousness 
is something to truly be grappled with. Um, so much so, again, that it, it became the fight for humanity in this oldest story of the garden and the tree, the middle tree, the tree of life and knowledge. And what's the problem? Uh, the, the Gnostics viewed the whole story of the garden in the inverse way that we see it now. They saw this God who demanded to be worshipped as some kind of demon, some kind of, or, or at least some total misrepresentation of what it actually was, and they saw the snake as the liberator, who said, eat from this tree, understand what this is, what this is all about. Why would, why is it good to simply be unawake? <laughs> Don't we have to have both an awareness of, and yet at the same time, be able to choose the proper path to choose verity? In consciousness, we have freedom. We have what is consciousness. It's, it is knowledge of. It's an awareness of, and it is ultimately, purely, and truly, it is caressence. It is that being with True consciousness is true caressence. It is the walking with the way. It is the invoking of verity with every action and every thought, every emotion, every, every thing that we do spews verity. what caressence is. And how could we be free without the choice to be a slave? How could we be free without the choice to be slaves. And what are we enslaved by? What is it that ultimately keeps us from? It is a lack of awareness of. It is this choiceless kind of existence, and yes, in verity, if we have it, there really is no choice, but at least there is an awareness of what lies on the other side. And of course, of course, ultimately, 
there isn't a real choice because the choice always comes down to life or death. It, it is that simple. Are we doing something that furthers the creative, that furthers not just the self, but all of creation, self, being, consciousness, is there something that affirms or is it something that denies that works against these things and we have said that conscious or that conception has become so corrupted that it now takes the form of death itself because unchecked it simply does unchecked it leads us down this wholly and utterly confused path unchecked yet verity itself without knowledge and awareness of without true and full consciousness without exploration, without choice verity becomes the same thing so we have to acknowledge this darker side we have to eat the fruit huh? we have to dwell in the shade of the tree of knowledge that's what being a human being is that's what being conscious is and if we are conscious in the proper way, excuse the term, proper, but if we understand the choice, if we are fully free and fully aware then again, one reverts back to that choiceless existence and always chooses the veritable. Always chooses reality. Always chooses truth. Because there is nothing else. All, all else is conception and imagination and without foundation of that, that foundation of reality, that foundation of what is. And that's death. That's a world of shadow. So we have to step out from underneath that shade of the tree of knowledge. And bask in the warm light of verity. It's not only the way, it's the only way. However, again, what would true consciousness be without that choice, without that acknowledgement? So, once more, because it deserves to be revisited, 
there can be no thing, no being, no phenomena without perception of that thing. Even nothing. Even nothing is perceived. Even nothing is held within the fabric of verity. In fact, nothing generates and stands against all being. It creates all being. All being is given a life from nothing. To have being, it has to have, everything has to have its opposite. It's, it's the f- actual formation of uh, the living yin-yang, right? In the black, the black and white compose one another, and in the black is the white, and in the black, white is the black. They stand against one another and make one another what they are, and thus contain one another. Thus they are one another. They compose one another by being against one another. That's the only way to define them, and so it is with nothing and being, with nothing and phenomena. And yet, it produces this awareness. It produces action. And that's, that's what phenomena, that's what being, that's what consciousness is. It, it is something that acts, that exists, that has a quality. Part of that quality, one of the most important component, it could be argued, of that quality is nothing. It is just this complete and utter caressant existence that has, that its, its true existence is beyond conceptual definition and even conceptual acknowledgement. It simply has existence purely and utterly in verity itself. So, we have to see that without perception, without consciousness, Nothing could be. Being is not weighty enough to be the foundation of being. Something much more pliable, much more elastic, much more receptive than this rigid... Placeable, physical, physically confound happening that we call being. 
Something has to be that ground and the ceiling. It has to be the container. And that container is consciousness itself and everything within it participates. And that's its glory. That's its song. That's its whole secret. That's that it can talk to itself. It can interact with itself. It even eats itself. As grotesque as that might be, and that's always been the most difficult thing for her. And I'm speaking very intentionally here as an individual. It's always been the most difficult thing for me to get my consciousness around. Is How does it do that and just kind of carry on? But I suppose if all is all, that's all it is in there. It simply uses itself as its own reflective energy. But in this there is, at the same time, great comfort. Because if consciousness is all that there is, then consciousness contains and sustains itself eternally because it is perception of perception it is awareness of itself and all happening therein consciousness is the collective and there is the collective conscious just as there is that individualized conscious. It is always all things. Because consciousness is all things. Consciousness is king. And servant. question is can we be aware of it <laughs> and once we are what do we do with it how do we act within it how do we mold shape utilize it It's the most important happening. It's the most important question. It's the most important thing that we do.
and yet in what is a great irony we have to become conscientious that that is our mission and that it is this war that will see it through.